Cheap Talk episode 67. Cheap Talk B team reviews out to get you live 1977. At the whiskey. It's time for some Cheap Talk. Hola. Hello there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cheap Talk. I'm your host, Robert Lawson, the author of Still Competition, The Listener's Guide to Cheap Trick, which is still available in paperback and hardcover on Amazon. As always, I'm joined by my friend, Tracy Yashilis. How are you doing today, Tracy? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Great. And Tracy, let our listeners know uh, who we have with us today. We are joined by our good friend, Peter Cicery, who happens to be a host of the I Love It Loudcast, and he's joining us. Why, thank you, Tracy, for that beautiful introduction, and I thank you, Robert and Tracy, for having me. I am Peter Cicery of the I Love It Loudcast. We talk about Cheap Trick quite often, and this is a dream come true to be on one of my favorite podcasts talking about my favorite band with two insanely awesome people. Peter, I was on your podcast to talk about Cheap Trick once, wasn't I? Yes, you were. Uh, I had Robert. You, Robert, you were uh, one of my very first interviews, and I was just getting my uh, podcast under our belt with my co-host Vinny Folletti, and it was a, actually a very popular episode. And there's not a band I like to talk about more than Cheap Trick, so it was obviously one of my favorites I've done to date. All right, that's good. So today we're talking about a pretty important live album that came out uh, last year as part of Record Store Day, and this is Cheap Trick out to get you. Live 1977. So just for a little bit of background about this, uh, and then we're going to dig into the album. Uh, While Cheap Trick were recording their second album, In Color, in L.A., they uh, booked some shows. So they did shows at the Whiskey A Go-Go, which is a pretty famous uh, club down there. So on Friday night, June 3rd, there was an early show and a late show. Saturday, June 4th, there was an early show and a late show. And then on Sunday, June 5th, they did one show. So those first four shows, the two on June 3rd and the two on June 4th, were uh, professionally recorded, and uh, little bits have come out over the years. So uh, just to give you uh, some background on that. Uh, So in 1996, when they released their four-CD box set, Sex, America, Cheap Trick, there was five songs from the Whiskey. And in the liner notes, they actually said that they were thinking of a live at the whiskey uh, live album to come out which would have been amazing but never happened uh the next thing that we have is in 1998 cheap trick uh, hosted something called trick fest 2 and some of the people who attended trick fest got a special bunny carlos bootleg cassette that cassette also had five songs from the whiskey recordings uh with no overlap in 1999, the In Color CD was reissued with two bonus tracks, uh, You're All Talk and Good Night from the Whiskey. And then there's a promo sampler called Rare Rock Tracks, and that has a version of Big Eyes from the Whiskey. So that means before this album came out, we already had 13 songs from the Whiskey A Go-Go. But now we have this double album, which is 22 tracks with no duplication from those previous 13. What are your guys' thoughts on the uh, new live album? Go ahead, Trace. You go first. Can't say anything bad about it. It's fantastic. It's 
everything you want to hear in a cheap trick show they're at their peak i think when this was recorded and it's just i there's not going to be much negative or any negative coming out of my mouth during this whole <laughs> review i would say peter yeah I, honestly this is probably my favorite live release they've put out it, i just love everything about it i love the the packaging i love the rawness of it i love the sloppiness of it uh everything now now robert let me ask you this uh a, just thinking about some of the things you said in the intro there. So they did this obviously was planned to come. That's why it was recorded with the, the mobile sound that it was planned to be put out. Or was that never a definite? I don't think so. I think they were taping just to see what it would sound like. You know, like I said, they only had the first album out at this time. So there probably wasn't that much of a market for a live album quite yet. That's what I would, would have thought. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it does seem a little odd that they would uh get a you know multi-track uh, portable mobile studio uh, to record it but you know if they were uh, thinking of maybe some promotional uses i'm not sure uh, but thank god they did yeah no kidding now now i know on most live quote-unquote live albums which we all know the classics you know the kiss alive the budokans the uh, frampton comes alive ufo strangers in the night w were these tapes altered at all to your knowledge or are these the raw tapes untouched no, these are completely untouched. Fantastic. In fact, some of them, some of the multi tracks, apparently had been missing, and they hadn't been able to find them. If you go back to some old uh, episodes of Cheap Talk, there's one where they interviewed uh, Bruce Dickinson, who's the guy who put together the Sex uh, America Cheap Trick box set, and yeah, he says, "Not the Iron Maiden singer. No, another Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> that's right." And he says that the remaining tapes aren't good enough. And uh, Bun has said that as well, that the reason why a Live at the Whiskey album that they mentioned in the liner notes as a possibility, uh, the reason why they canceled it was because the tapes weren't good enough. So I, I make the case in the book that that's not really true, because as I mentioned, there's 13 songs out there already yeah. that yeah. are, uh, you know, uh, that were obviously good enough to come out. So even if they weren't all multi-tracks, which was sort of uh, the issue you know they still could have done what they've ended up doing which is like an official bootleg series so maybe it's not the kind of thing that a casual fan would listen to but uh, a real hardcore uh, audience would be there for it and you know there's other examples of that when hendrix's label the estates label started putting out you know stuff from the vaults they created a side label called dolly uh, or dagger records and that was for like just hardcore Hendrix fans, you know, so they'd have like a live at the Winterland that was a multi-track. They'd release that to stores, but then they were releasing other live recordings purely just through their website, kind of with a disclaimer that like, you know, these aren't top of the line in terms of quality, but if you're a super fan, you'll really enjoy them. And uh, I always thought Cheap Trick could have done that because the sound on the Bunny tape from Trick Fest 2 it's not it's not quite hundred percent, so that stuff's definitely not taken from um, from the multi tracks. But I've done a lot of work trying to figure out where all these different songs are from. You know, the whiskey tapes was something when I was writing my book that I really wanted to dig into, and I really wanted to you know get as much information, as much detail as I could to figure out where all these songs are from. And uh, it's not easy, and I've st I've still been working on it now that this live album's out. But I can tell that the song "Good Night," we do have all four versions of that that were recorded now. Oh wow! Both shows on Friday, 
both shows on Saturday are confirmed. Uh, the, those are all out. But, you know. Have you heard all four versions? Yeah. Now, one of the things we all love about Cheap Trick is they're, you know, they're kind of unrehearsed kind of live sound and they're, you know, quote unquote, Rick's quote unquote sloppiness sometimes, which I find very alluring. Did, were, was there any discernible differences between the four? Uh, not really. I mean, the only differences really are at the end of the song, kind of how Rick says, you know, we're cheap trick. Good night. He says that a little different on each one, but Robin's a little hoarse. Well, actually on the, on the album that we're going to talk about, he's a little bit hoarse on it. Tom's bass is a lot louder on, um, I think the version that's on in color, but uh, anyway, you know, that's the kind of research and kind of detective work that I enjoy doing, trying to figure out, okay, you know, what exactly do we have here? What exactly are we talking about? Well, it's funny because you mentioned their bootleg. I mean, I, I think kind of like, especially this latest one, this one we're talking about, they're kind of going for that in the look, you know, the look. Like it's stark, it's white, and, and the spine is like almost trying to create like a bootleg live series is just like the one they released in 2019 that was the new year's eve show from 1979 if they're in your vinyl collection next to each other they kind of look like hey those are bootlegs yeah I, you know i think that's the kind of thing that more bands should be doing a lot of bands do it i think cheap tricks a little slow to the game but uh, that's okay they're getting up to speed now uh, i think it's a great thing for bands to you know especially these days when they can't tour so you know you, this stuff sitting in the vault doesn't do anybody any good <laughs> So put it out. You'll make a little bit of money off of it. The fans will love it. And, uh, you know, go from there. Springsteen hadn't done anything like this for years and years. And now I think he puts out a, a live album like every second month or something. Yeah. And yeah why not? You know, sure. It's all just sitting there. So mentioning that, one of the things that I want to add on to what Tracy said was that the reception to this record, you know, it's been out for a little while now. Yeah. But the reception yeah. of this record has been overall incredible. People are going nuts for this record. Yeah. Like people who people who know what Cheap Trick sounded like in 1977, uh, like me, are just like, finally, you know, even when they first announced that, that this thing was coming out, I thought somebody was like reading my dream journal. Mm-hmm. And then I feel that other people who, you know, maybe they don't quite understand what pre-Budokan Cheap Trick was like, they're just blown away. They're just abs. The reviews on this thing are insane, and that's why I think it's you know real important for us to talk about about this record because I think it's a major release from this band. Absolutely, it's like almost if 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 somebody doesn't know who Cheap Trick is, I don't know if that's remotely possible. This might be one of the first two or three I put in their hands now. Yeah, and especially if it's you know maybe somebody who thinks of them as a pop band or thinks of them as some of those 80s hits or, or anything yeah. like that. You know, I find often Cheap Trick aren't, you know, quite considered as a, a full-on rock band, you know, the way that, I don't know, the Stones or Aerosmith or something uh, would be. Yeah, get put this record in their hands, and there's no pop on this record. This is like a hard, you know, this is like a heavy record. There's something that bugs me about the front cover. Do you guys have any clue what might bug me about the front cover? That the band logo isn't readily uh, easily seen. No, I kind of dig that. I like that UV coating against the mat. Is Tom pl- that guitar? Is that a guitar he's playing? Does it have six strings and a whammy bar? Uh, it does. Yeah. Did he ever play a guitar with six strings and a whammy bar? 
So that photo is taken from the session that they did when they recorded uh, the television commercial in 1978. Um, you can you can uh, find that on YouTube. But uh, as far as I know, they're just playing uh, with borrowed instruments. Rick has a black Hamer standard with crown inlays. I've never seen uh, pictures or footage of him with that guitar anywhere else. I was talking to my friend Chris Mathis about this as well. Uh, Tom is really interesting. He's actually playing a Gretsch County gentleman guitar with a Bigsby tremolo. And if you pay attention to the TV commercial, um, he actually like plays the whammy bar, which is really odd that they're you know lip syncing to Surrender. And uh, he's just playing a six-string guitar. So that's that's the source for, for the photo anyway. Uh, I think it looks good on the album cover, but it is a little odd that Tom, who's so famous for being this great bassist, isn't even holding a bass guitar. Yeah. On the back of this album, the photo is credited to somebody named Art Melet. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but apparently that's who took the photo during the shoot for the commercial. And some of the photos from that session were also used when... The, when Cheap Trick were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, actually, and uh, they used those images and some banners that were seen around uh, Rockford. That's super cool. A brief breakdown of the album, then we'll, we'll talk about a couple of the songs here. So we've got 22 tracks in total. Fantastic. Uh, as we said, it's a double LP. Um, so eight of the ten songs from the debut album they play. They also play seven of the ten songs from the unreleased In Color album. They even do two songs from the really unreleased Heaven Tonight album. And then there's five other non-album songs that they do. So a great collection of their early stuff. And, you know, I've mentioned to Tracy recently, for fans who think, uh, and I know a lot of them do, that, you know, Cheap Trick have to do Dream Police. They have to do Surrender. Oh, my God. If they don't do, you know, I Want You to Want Me, it's just not a cheap trick show. And I, I've never agreed with that. Um, I, In fact, I 100% disagree with that. And this album kind of proves it because I can't imagine anybody listening to this whole album and at the end going, mm, I kind of wish they did Dream Police. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't. That's not going to happen. At the end of this record, it's like, you know, you need to, like, mop the sweat off your <laughs> <laughs> this thing smokes. True story. It does, and it's so hard for me nowadays. And uh, you know, a little different with Cheap Trick because of my my love for them. But for me to sit down and play an album over and over and over, this this thing has become like a, a it's it's on my turntable constantly. Yeah, my uh, I was really looking forward to it, and I still had all my original notes about the whiskey recordings. Uh, from when I wrote my book. So uh, the first thing I did, though, was just listen to it once purely for fun and uh, and just, you know, real enjoyment. And boy, did I ever <laughs> enjoy that. After that, then I started, you know, dissecting it and trying to figure out, okay, is this song really June 4th or June 3rd and all that really super nerdy stuff that I like to do. Um, so there you go. Yeah, 22 tracks. And um, uh, let's let's talk about some some of them. Tracy, what are some of your favorites here, or, or some things that you noticed about the album? Well, they're all my favorite, <laughs> but I did notice there were a few songs where the lyrics were a little different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm thinking that that was, you know, the the precursor to what ended up being the lyric, and I always like that when I can pick out little differences. Um, 
I love Cry Cry just because I love that song. You know, I honestly, it, it's funny to me to review this album because I have nothing bad to say. <laughs> oh, no, there doesn't have to necessarily be anything bad to no, say. We can, I, just, yeah, we can just say how great it was. It was great. It, uh, yeah. Speak Now is great. Robin's voice is fantastic in that song. Yeah, I definitely noticed those lyric changes too, Trace. Definitely in High Roller and Off Wiedersehen because obviously those showed up on two albums later to, to Robert's point and I that the end of Off Feeder saying where they're just kind of rifting there's a little uh you know less pattern to the the outro vocals and then high roller there's definitely a couple lines that are different yeah in yeah. high roller instead of saying what I buy is mine and I always get the things that I choose he says don't you think it's time you stand inside my shoes yeah yes yeah. Oh, yes yes so yeah, that's a noticeable one. And yeah, the fact that they didn't actually end up recording that oh. until two albums later. You know, another real uh, song that's really different, which I I find kind of odd because, like like I mentioned at the top of the show, they ju they're just taking a break from recording the In Color album. So I'd kind of think that they'd have this stuff down by now. But if you listen to Come On, Come On, it yeah. misses like whole it's choruses. Yeah. yeah. You know, so instead of going... And if you listen along to the album version, Come On, Come On goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus, drum break, verse, chorus, and then they kind of just repeat it with with ad-libs. Um, the whiskey, it's really like verse, drum break <laughs> right away, <laughs> and then verse, chorus. And it, yeah, it's, you know, al it's, it's almost like another intro song, like Hello There, you know? Yeah, it's really, really brief. And uh, I didn't have a chance to compare it to some other uh, versions of it from around this time. I, I, I really wish I had just to see if if that's how they were doing it back then um, or if there's just a weird anomaly that that's how they did it at the Whiskey. But it's still interesting. Maybe we can play a little bit of it right here. So another uh, thing we were talking about lyrics is, of course, Allo Kitties is where we get the title of the album, You Know They're Out to Get You. And I think that's kind of a, a neat thing. Um, they did that with the, with the last record store day as well, didn't they, Peter? It's called Are You Ready Live. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I actually don't have that on vinyl. I need to. It's excellent. <laughs> it's it's great. It's not this great, but it's great. I've heard it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. How bad could it be? Yeah. Right. But uh, yeah, Whiskey you, you know, Seven is another level. I know we just listened to a little bit of Come On, Come On. I think also in there, if I'm not mistaken, Robert and Tracy, there's at one point Robin, I think, wants to go a different place in the song and the band's playing something different. And that definitely happens in Southern Girls, too. Yeah, at Southern Girls, it's yeah. kind of near the end. It's, it's at almost like three minutes in the song where he comes in too early with the chorus. Yeah. So little whoops there. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know that that's okay. It's but a high energy live, show, and that's that's why it's so that's why exactly. they're so great, and especially this time, you know. I'm... Oh, he he also did it on Tax Man. Oh, no, he, I didn't notice on Tax. He Man. came in too soon. Uh, um, somewhere in Tax Man, I have that written down. You know, you were talking about Robin's voice. Uh, number one, I mean, being a singer is really really hard. It's the hardest 
position in the band. You know, you can't be in air conditioning. You got to take care of your voice. And now if they, I don't know how planned this was, but, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, did they have their own backline? Did they have their own sound guy? Cause if you've ever been in some clubs and I've, Sing a lot of bar bands, man. If the guy doesn't know what he's doing, or you can't hear yourself in the wedgies, mind you, this is way before in ear monitors, which make it a lot easier. You know, it could make a, a singer's life a nightmare. And it, I think that, and coupled with the fact that he, that says in the liner notes, you know, that he hadn't sang anything in a couple of weeks because it was two weeks since he just did basic vocal tracks. To do five shows in, you know, uh, two and a half days. That's crazy. I mean, just nutty. I mean, you got to be superhuman to do that. Do, Robert, do you have any clue? Were the set lists the same every night or how long were each of the shows? They weren't super long. I mean, this because this album is taken from four shows, it might kind of give the impression that, like, this is the length of a whole show. It's not. Uh, quick look here. Looks like they were doing about 12 or 13 songs each night. Yeah. Well, each set. 15. Yeah. yeah, oh, so each, yeah. So each set is about 12 songs. And they do change it up uh, a little bit. I'm looking quickly here at, I'm comparing uh, June 3rd and a June 4th. This is the second set on June 3rd. And I think this is the second set on June 4th. So um, they they didn't do Down on the Bay on on the 4th. Cry, cry. They only did on the third. Oh, boy is only on the third. So, yeah, they change it up. Right. Um, yeah. Each of them has changed up a little bit, yeah. which is where it gets a little confusing that you see the same songs appearing uh, on all these different releases. But that's why, you know, like I mentioned, I wanted to really go through and point out that these are different versions. And that, for example, those two songs that are on In Color, which are also on the Epic Archives, uh, Volume 1, that those two songs do not appear on this new live album. They're not the same versions. So you are getting, you know, more stuff. The only thing about this album that I've read a couple of times on Facebook is by people who say, you know, and, and I know they mean well, <laughs> I'm not coming down on them, but they'll say, oh yeah, I've, I've had that bootleg for years. I, I love that concert. Well, you haven't. <laughs> because just by saying that, that shows you don't know what this is. Because this is not one concert. This has never been available as a bootleg because the song selection is particular to this release. You know, you could have, they weren't in circulation, but there's, I think the early show on June 3rd, you can listen to the complete thing on YouTube. And then both sets of June 4th, I believe, have been on bootlegs. But to say that you've had this for years on a bootleg, no, you, you have not. Right. Um, Tracy and Robert, you both know on the different uh, Facebook pages, some of the comments just always make me raise my eyebrows. Like, but hey, it's all good. They love cheap trick. They just want to know stuff. And it's all cool. Yeah. And that's what we're here for to try to, uh, you know, get some rumors out of the way and get down to some facts. So, yeah, people will know. So, so if you're out there and you're listening and you think you have this, you don't go get it because you yes. do need it. You know, anyone thinking that they don't have to get this because they already have it. No way. You need this, uh, you know, more than you know. Yes, for real. Yeah. And Yeoman's job uh, by our friend Ken Sharp with the uh, liner notes again. Really nice job. Great liner notes. I loved them. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. I, I actually, for some reason, wasn't expecting those in there when I opened. I don't know if, if that was uh, mentioned before it came out that he did the, the liner notes or not. But when I opened it up, I saw that great photo, uh, which is from the whiskey. And then I saw these notes from, from, from Ken. I thought, oh, this is fantastic. This is even better. 
Yeah, and he did the last one too, Robert. I know you said you don't have it on vinyl, but he does the uh, does a great job on those also. All right, that's good stuff. The the one thing I I really I mean, Robin Zander is my favorite singer. That's no that's no uh, mystery if anybody's listened to the I Love It Loudcast. But even though he's hoarse, and as you look at some of the songs where I, you notice he's a little hoarse, you look at what when they were like like for instance that you know you you've done two shows on the third, your early show the next day, you know Hot Love, his, his voice is toast through a, a good portion of that song. But you know what he never does. He never stops. He goes to a lower register or he talks the word. He never skips anything. And that's, man, that's when you're not feeling it, that's that takes some serious balls. It really does. It's a little interesting. You know, in the in the archive liner notes, Bun says that the reason they did these shows was so that Robin's voice could kind of get uh, back in shape for the recording. <laughs> That he, you know, kind of need to toughen up. And yet when you listen to it, he's actually a little, yeah, he's, he's kind of hoarse, as, almost as if he, he has been singing a lot. You know, Bun, yeah. makes it, Bun makes it sound like, you know, they were off the road recording, so Robin hadn't been doing any singing, so he kind of needed to, you know, get back at it. But it actually sounds like he might be on the verge of burnout. Yeah, it's funny, Robin, because I, I, I was reading that also, and I'm like, okay, if that's the case, uh, I hope they weren't planning on doing any serious recording with him uh, Monday morning. The, the six because i'm sure he probably couldn't talk yeah right yeah exactly exactly so that, so that's kind of that's a bit curious you know another really fun moment for me on this set and uh, we'll listen to a little bit of it is on taxman so there's an instrumental break that goes from about 306 to 421 we, we won't listen to the whole thing right here but it's just this instrumental jam and they just get into this groove and it's deep and it's heavy and uh, it's just it's just phenomenal. Like you know, it it's almost like they could just keep doing that for an hour. <laughs> yeah, and it's your but what your point you made earlier. It's the antithesis. If you thought this was your uh, standing on the edge cheap trick, it's totally different. That's right. This is this is more. You know, someone years and years ago, someone said something to me, and I was really offended by it. He said, "Cheap trick. It's like the rhythm section are from the Who, and." The vocals are from the Beatles. I was like, "How dare you!" And then I realized, no, that's pretty good. It's a darn good, good, good company. <laughs> <laughs> that's that sounds so. On this, this is like, yeah, them like just really doing that that deep. It's almost like this thud, you know, rock kind of thing. Um, here's a little bit of it now.
So that's Taxman. We mentioned High Roller with the different lyrics, but if you check out the guitar solo on that, Rick just goes nuts. Yeah, he's <laughs> bonkers. <laughs> they love it. I mean, and he often does. And, you know, like you had mentioned before, Peter, like Rick, uh, Rick being crazy and, and his crazy vocals and all that kind of stuff. That's what a lot of people, a lot of us anyway, love about Rick, that he is so loose and so sloppy as a player. I think it, it adds a lot to the group. But uh, on High Roller, he's uh, really just freaking out on the guitar. Another here's another weird thing that uh, I have not noticed this on bootlegs from 1977. The beginning of Clock Strikes 10, you know, there's the usual kind of notes that they play, but then there's this weird counter note thing that almost sounds like a doorbell or something. What is that? I don't know what it is, but I wrote that down as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's this weird. I don't. Definitely different. Yeah, I'd never heard of the sound song. like a string. No. Yeah. Like you say, kind of does like a doorbell almost, sort of. I wonder if Bunny accidentally hits the the bell of a cymbal that he wasn't intending to hit or something. It's a series of notes. Yeah, uh, right in the beginning. Like, yeah, right in the beginning, like do 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 do. Yeah. <laughs> But it's happening at the same time as the usual intro, right. you know, that ding, ding, ding. This other thing on top of it, it's not digital. It's something that's happening at the show. So, yeah, it almost sounds like it's something on tape or something. Yeah, it could. That absolutely could be. There's mysterious things that happen. You hear stories about stuff getting on tapes. But hey, Robert, clear something up for us on this. Uh, at this point, Tom didn't have the twelve string bass. Or no, yes? no, that's a that that is a good point. Man, it sounds pretty full, man. It still sounds full. It's very full. He's playing a uh, he has a four string uh, Fender bass and also a four string Gibson Thunderbird. Oh, the Thunderbird probably sounds really thick. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, definitely no, uh, no twelve string uh, at this point, which is, which is also, you know, like a real interesting thing because he's so, you know, these days you'd rarely see him without a twelve string, and you haven't yeah. for for decades. <laughs> so to to go back to that just shows how this is really, really early. You know, where that, we're... that's a dude that's going to have serious back problems in about ten years. I don't know how he holds that thing up. Well, and this this is also before, you know, never mind uh, his wacky 12-string. This is before Rick has any of his real, yeah, you know, crazy yeah. guitars either. You know, so in 1977, on this, he's going to be playing the original Hamer um, prototype, yep. which is 0000. He probably has 0004 with him, and then uh, probably just like a Strat. You yeah. know, this... Did he Go maybe ahead. have a, a Gibson um, Les Paul Jr.? Did he have a Gibson? Or I don't know if it was a Les Paul Jr. It was a, like a maroon guitar, uh, but it, it wasn't a Hamer. Well, I want to say it was some sort of Gibson. I don't know if he was using those on for club shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he famously has uh, he's got a he's got a, I think a 1958 Les Paul that uh, that I think he's he has said that he's used on every single Cheap Trick record. 
but I mean, that thing would be worth so much money. He's probably not, not allowed to take it out on the road anymore. If yeah. he, if he, you know, rarely did. So back then the, the instrumentation is a lot more stripped down, but you certainly do not suffer <laughs> in terms of sound oh. or performance. So, you know, it's almost like, you know, Kiss always, you know, tried to prove like if they took away all the makeup, if they took away all the costumes, the music would still stand. To me, yeah. this is this is almost like that. Take away the wacky guitars, we take away the extra bass strings, all that kind of stuff, and just go right back to the original club days, and it's fantastic. Could you imagine you two being transported back in time and being able to be in the front row of one of those shows? Oh my lord, what a dream! Those people probably had no clue what they were witnessing. No right. clue. I'd like to be in the back row. I don't care. Oh, yeah, I don't. Yeah, really. I'd be there. In the parking lot. I'm... I'd sit in the bathroom with the door open. Especially yeah. if I could be the age I am and be transported back. Oh, right. Yeah, knowing knowing what you know. Right. Absolutely. Because if if it was at the time, I was only like, you know, eleven or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was in sixth sixth grade, seventh. Grade. I couldn't appreciate it near as much back then, but. Now, wouldn't it be funny too? We could do we could do uh, recreate with them if all three of us went back in time at this age, like back from the. We could do like that scene in Almost Famous where we, you know, we say, yeah, you know, Robin will make a joke that you think I'm going to be doing this when I'm sixty, and little does he know, right? (laughs) (laughs) So cry, Um, cry, Tracy. I I I mm. think it's that may be one of my favorite songs on this I, at the it's just it, that extended version the right incredibly sweet notes that robin you know kind of they're, they're, robin and rick are doing their own little ain't that a shame thing going yeah, back, back and forth, and forth right oh. It's just so beautiful, and it, it just, it, it's the perfect length, and uh, it's just so sexy. And then, in the at the very, they're still playing it. And Rick just goes ahead and, and announces the next song. Right, while they're still playing the song. <laughs> and he just noodled his way through that whole song too. It oh yeah, constant noodling the entire time, which is great. I love I love Rick's noodling. Here's a little bit of cry cry right now. My baby's
next tune is one of my favorites. Pretty new. Heard only a few times. Big eyes. Uh, so we're looking at uh, four sides. You know, one of the when I was mentioning that fans are going nuts about this album. Another thing about this, uh, the response to this album, is that when it gets talked about on Facebook, right away people are saying, when is it coming out on CD? And, you know, that doesn't always happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. people people are like, so even people who don't have this or haven't heard it yet, they're excited about it. Because yeah. they, you know, they want it on CD and they want Ken Sharp's liner notes in a little booklet. Um the album has been added to streaming services now. I was just going to say it took iTunes a while, as did the last one. It's almost like they had some sort of because there was a download card in both, but that download was, you know, like when I would I download and played it, play one tune at a time. You had to select the next one. I could never get it to work, but both of them came out like like months later on iTunes. Right, um, and this one I know now it is on Spotify. I'm not sure if it's on Apple Music, so there could be some people checking yeah, it out on there. Apple Music. Yeah. But people, you know, people still want physical media, and especially for a record as great as this, um, you know, it's it's really essential. I would say if you're only going to have, I don't know, ten cheap trick albums in your collection, and two of them are going to be live, this definitely needs to be one of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a must have in their collection for sure. Not only is it a snapshot of where they were at musically, but you're just getting all these great songs that, you know, shortly after here, you know, they disappear. And you don't, you know, you're not going to hear Daddy Should Have Stayed in High School, you know, at Budokan. <laughs> you know, hey, you, you know, might what? hear it. You might hear it in the future. You never know. But Well, sure. Now they change it yeah. up all the time. and they, yeah. You know, they can almost do anything. But, uh, and they do when when they headline and have a chance. But there's a lot of stuff here that, you know, would really consider uh, be considered as a, as a deep track, uh, including "Loser" uh, right. and, and "Oh Boy." Oh boy, you know, yeah. I love with that vo- with vocals, you know, things like "Can't Hold On," and you know, like what did people think sitting in the audience hearing them do "Fats Domino"? Ain't that a shame? I know. And then the, the little noodle in there. It's so funny. I did that one. I I love that, and I've heard so many different versions. In this version, there's one point where literally, I think it's Robin plays one note and then rick plays one note and then tom's like oh geez i can't just play one note so he does it but it's just every time you hear a live version of it it's it's different and the one thing you know you've got to give credit where credit is due you know they were literally like we said on fire at this point i mean aggressive it's like even some of the songs just sound perverted which is i think is what was rick's intent in writing them anyway with some of the lyrical content like why can't i be inside you and stuff like that and but Bunny is just outrageously great on this release. I mean, just the tempo and his attack and just, I mean, you're all talking is just outrageous. I mean, he's, he's, he's really driving the train and it's, you know, come to all these years later, we love our Dax and Dax is amazing. He's the reason they're still probably out there. Dax has kind of brought some of that back, but you can see the, the, the youthful Bunny, man, what a drummer. What a drummer! Yeah, this is him at uh, really at his peak. I mean, he he not that he wasn't great for quite a few years after this, but you know, if, I find with Bun, a lot of people for a long time have talked about his image more than his playing. Yeah, so, sad. <laughs> you know, oh, you know, the the accountant guy or something. Yeah. 
But meanwhile, uh, he's actually a phenomenal drummer, especially in the 70s. So at, at this time, 77, where they, you know, really, they only have one album out. Yeah. You know, so he, he looked funny, and even during like this whole seventies period in the eighth, he never, you know, the the age of the seven thousand piece drum set and the fifty thousand cymbals, it was never him. So like certain people, oh, he can't be any good. Look at the set; it's only got four or five pieces. You know, stupid things like that you would hear. You know, yeah, that's just that's uncalled for. <laughs> that, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. No, I, it doesn't. I actually wrote here that it's almost like a frenzy. Like his drumming, it's it's like a frenzy. It's yes. so yeah. it's so insane. Like you know, like frantic. And it, yeah, but he always gets back. He'll he'll find oh, his yeah. way back to the first line of the chorus. He'll find his way back. It's, yeah. it's and you can definitely hear because I mean, even though this is seventy seven, they only had one album out and they're recording the second. They had been playing. I mean, they were war, road warriors. I mean, they sure. played a, a shit ton. So pardon my French, but. Uh, yeah, he's it, it's, it's the one thing I noticed throughout the whole album. I mean, you got to give he he may be the MVP of this album. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, Robin's a little hoarse at times, which I don't mind. Me um, but yeah, Bun Bun is incredible. This is a a great testament to how he how good he was at this in during this era. Yeah. Um. So I don't know uh, I, uh, what I was saying earlier. People asking if it's going to come out on CD. I haven't heard anything about that. Um, I no, would I haven't either. Yeah, there, would... Well, the one before it didn't, so that probably doesn't lend itself to, right? I mean, the, the, the previous record store, uh, day one from New Year's Eve show, I don't think that's on CD. No, no it, ha- it hasn't, but I would, I'm hoping that the reviews that this one has received and all the positive comments would maybe put a bit of a bug in the ear of the record company to think, you know, well, we could, we can shift a few more of these if we press them on CDs. Um, right. I don't, I don't know. I would, I would really hope that they do because, uh, you know, this deserves to be available to as many people as want it. So if you're a hardcore CD collector, I mean, who wouldn't buy it? Even though I have two copies of it on vinyl actually, and I would still buy the CD. I don't want to tell you why I have two copies because <laughs> it's <laughs> white and I was working one day and I didn't know my pen. My finger, my three fingertips were loaded with blue ink, and I went to pick up the album, and I just couldn't stare at it anymore, so I had to get another one. So <laughs> it's, but I can't have my my album sullied. It's a cheap trick, you know. It's not it's not uh, Jeffrey,a you know. I need to keep your albums got to be pristine. Well, maybe there'll be a CD at some point. At the at the very least, it shows that there are fans out there who want this archival stuff. You know, the Epic Archive series I thought was okay, but of course it was, you know, there wasn't really anything too rare on those. But this is stuff that is really exciting, and I hope it, it means that Columbia Legacy, and whether they're Record Store Day releases or just, you know, through their website or something, it shows that there is an audience for these kind of uh, material from the vaults. Sure. So you you just said a key word that was I was going to ask you, Robert. Epic. So obviously we know just recently they're on BMG. But this album is, quote-unquote, Legacy Records Epic. Now, they're not... How does it work for this getting released? They have to... Do they have to okay it? Do they... I'm assuming they get paid for it, right? Yeah, sure. Sure, they would still get paid for it. I mean, if right. if Epic... You know, they probably paid for the original recordings mm-hmm. to be done, so they, they would own the rights to them. 
for all these years. Uh, Legacy is just a kind of a sub-label of Sony Music. Okay, is it like uh, a distribution network? Is that what that is? Or Yeah, Sony distributes it, but Legacy is just one of Sony's labels. It's one that is specifically for, like, Vault-type releases. Ah, okay. Um, yep, yep. So, you, you know, you'll never see a, some band's new release on Legacy. That's not what Legacy is for. Legacy is strictly for um, for archival releases. Right. right. Yeah, so these tapes would have been uh, just kind of sitting in the Sony vaults, I guess, for all these years. And, um, you know, eventually, you know, sure, the, the band has to sign off on it. They get a guy like Ken Sharp involved. You know, so it is official Cheap Trick product. But right. anything that they would have recorded, if Epic paid for it at the time epic would still own the masters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and i love the band introduction by rodney bingenheimer who is a huge fan of theirs very early on and very influential in the la club scene at the time yeah he introduced all four shows uh, well he probably did, did the fifth as well actually but if you if you go to youtube and listen to the complete early I think the one that's on YouTube says that it's the early show on the third, but I have a suspicion it could it might be the late show. Anyway, on that show, Bun actually introduces Rodney. <laughs> oh, wow, that's cool. And then Rodney introduces the whole band. So you can check that out on YouTube. Just type in, I think it's just Cheap Trick Whiskey 1977 or something, and it'll come up, or Whiskey a Go-Go. But it is June 3rd. Yeah, that's, that's kind of neat that Bun introduces the MC. So, Tracy, would Cry Cry be your fave track on, on it? Uh, I'm going to probably say yes. How about you, Robert? What are a couple of your uh, favorites? Jesus. <laughs> uh, I don't see that on there. Oh, that's side four. Jesus. That's right. Carolina, oh, boy. It's, oh, Jesus. There it is. I see it. That's right. You know, <laughs> I mean, where do you where do you start? You know, I mean, I love the, the version of Hot Love. Speak Now is terrific. He's a whore. Yeah, Cry Cry is excellent. Can't Hold On is... I mean, oh, you, you so can't good. go wrong with any of them. I mean, it's it, it's fantastic. You know, we I know we're tripping over ourselves complimenting this release, but that's the point. That's how good it is. You know, I don't... I can't even think of anything I would like for this thing, you know, that could make it better. Yeah. Well, it's the, in the immortal words of uh, Michael St. Hubbins, I like the, the beginning, the middle, and the end. I like all of it. <laughs> What do you think about Loser? I really like that one, too. Oh, it's so good. Is there any losers in the house tonight? Yeah, I right. love Which that. is sort of a Rick's standard. Rick, Rick would always introduce it that way. Um, so that that's just kind of a regular part of the show. But yeah, it's excellent. I mean, every, every song, I mean, this really shows, you know, it's really a testament to Rick's songwriting. Because, as we know, he wrote almost, you know, like 90% of the material on here. Yeah. So then you're getting them all just back-to-back, a song like Oh Candy, and then, yeah, Hot Love, and Southern Girls, and on and on it goes. Um, you know, just all over the place, stylistically. And that's one of the things that I really love about the early stuff, especially the first three albums. Is that it just shows, like, where was this guy coming up with this stuff? Yeah. No like, problem. how, you know, I know they don't do Mandicello here, but... How do you write a song like Bandicello and then also do Hot Love and then also yeah. do Daddy Should Have Stayed and all like yeah. it's it's and you know yeah cry cry it's insane how do you yeah. you know how do you even come up with this how does that brain work and this is just a great example of that because you're just bam 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 
well, the few really super artistic people that I've known in my life and read about and whatnot, I don't care if you're a painter, comedian, musician, they're all a little touched. There's just something going on different up in that nugget. There just is, you know, they don't, they don't operate like non-talented people like myself do. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I've said that kind of thing for many years that, you know, to be somebody like a, like a Prince or a David Bowie or, you know, your brain just operates a little differently. You know, I don't think John Mellencamp's does necessarily, not that he's not talented and not that, you know, right. I don't like a lot of his stuff, but I can kind of hear where his stuff comes from. You know, like I know the songwriting tradition that comes from Woody Guthrie and Bob Dylan. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you, can, yeah. you can trace that with Mellencamp, which is great. The influences know? are more out front. Right. And I, I put Rick, especially early Rick, more in that category of, yeah, like a Prince or a Bowie to say, like, where did that come from? <laughs> like, right. Because even, you know, with their self, his self-professed love of, you know, power pop and some of, you know, some of the bands, their stuff was a lot more sugary than what he was writing at the time. That's for darn sure. Yeah, he has. There's that dark side, which has always been there, which is really fascinating. But then it's just like this the quirky kind of, you know, that you would take the suicide of a photographer and then instead of just saying, well, you know, this tragedy happened to this guy, we we miss him, you know, well, we're going to take his initials and then we're going to call it Candy and then we're going to flip it to be a girl. And we're like, where does all that come from? Like all this extra stuff from um, his outrageously weird creative skull. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we all benefit from it. So yeah, and bring on the crazy like that. I mean, you, you listen to in, interviews or it can be so disjointed and the, the <laughs> non sequiturs and the, and it's everything that I love. And I like, I have friends that just don't get cheap trick. I'm like, yeah, I, I was, I think like we're talking about going back in the time machine. So, you know, th they're really not super known at this point. You know, there's probably Robert, would you say a good portion of those people at that club may or may not even know who they are, maybe the majority of them. And, they come out dressed like that, you know, at least Bun and Rick. And, and if you're like a guitar God guy, guitar geek, and you're like, this guy is sloppy as shit. What am I seeing? But for me, it all just clicks. It, it all clicks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do think that there's probably times where Rick's image has, has held him back a little bit. Yes. Um, you know, there's that famous example of them doing Ain't That a Shame when they were on the American Music Awards in 1980. They added uh, like a laugh track to it, so yeah. people were like, you yeah. know, you know, there's stuff like that. But you know, he 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 got past that that image, you know, in the '90s, and I think now he's more, you know, you could see him more as just a, a serious mm -hmm. guitar player. Not that he's a serious guitar player, but you know, you you don't have to worry about the image. But you're right. Who knows what the people in the audience? I mean, Rodney would have been advertising and talking about these shows on the radio a lot. And, you gotta uh, come see these guys, Cheap Trick. They're really good. <laughs> uh, so, you know, he, he probably brought uh, quite a few of his own fans uh, to the show. I believe the shows were pretty packed. Okay, guys, so uh, if we want to wrap this up here, I don't know if there's anything we've left out. Otherwise, you know, I mean, all three of us are giving this uh, two big thumbs up. If you don't have Live at the Whiskey... It's essential. You, you need to get it. See if you can grab it on vinyl. 
streaming sites have it if you want to test it out a little bit if you don't believe us and how great it is final thoughts from you tracy final thoughts it was a very frantic as i said before album it's uh, a little more raw than you know some of the other versions of the songs that you hear on it and again i can't say anything else other than i really loved it, it it's it's just packed full of good stuff and I wish it would come out on CD because I'm old school and that's what I listen to in my car. And I am I would love to be able to play it in my car and roll down the windows and blare it all over town. Wouldn't CD, though, be new old school? Aren't well, we I think, Robert, old school, old school? <laughs> I suppose, that's, yeah, that's I mean, right. All the modern folk are doing like, you know, uh, Bluetooth from their phone or, yeah. or and I don't do that my phone doesn't have enough memory to hold this album <laughs> so uh I, my I, head doesn't have enough memory to hold yeah, right? this album. <laughs> so i'd love it to be on cd as well because you know i would love to annoy my neighbors also down the street not just the ones to my immediate left and right when i'm blaring it on the stereo <laughs> so, well just, if, if anybody at sony legacy is in doubt that there's an audience for this to come out on cd believe me People, people want it on yeah. CD. Yeah. Yeah. If they have doubt, like the fans, they're, they're wrong for sure. <laughs> so, I mean, nobody, I love my silver. I love my music for hangovers. I love my complete Budokan. But like I said at the top of the show, this is my favorite cheap trick live release. Yeah. I don't think there's any argument about that. So, all right, guys. There's, uh, I think we have uh, summed it up. That This is a. Well, this almost. Is a... Oh. But I have to give myself a shameless plug, Robert. I mean, I have to. I mean, Vinny would be so, he'd be so mad at me if I didn't say, hey, if you like rock and roll music and great interviews with amazing and interesting authors like Robert Lawson, uh, please check out the I Love It Loudcast. We're available on uh, Facebook of the same name, uh, also on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on all the normal things. Love to have you come check it out. We're almost to 10 listeners, so I'm very, very happy about that. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. But uh, we're almost to But anyway. Shoot, shoot for uh, the stars. <laughs> but yeah, check it out if you like it. Excellent. Tell your friends. If you don't, tell me why. And, uh, and keep listening to Cheap Talk with Trick Chat, Ken Mills, Brian Cramp, BJ. They are, uh, you know, Robert, it's funny. Like when I started doing this podcast and interviewing people, I thought I was deep with bands like my family would say oh my gosh you know everything about cheap trick for kid. and i'm like holy mackerel i'm like on the jv football team and you guys are like d1 college uh, so i <laughs> i really have learned a ton from all of you and it's it's riveting all that stuff that all you guys can bj think is boring it ain't it's riveting to the people that are listening well and that's the you know that, that i think that's the audience you know, at, at this point, there's always going to be casual fans, but Cheap Trick have some real hardcore, you know, deep, deep fans. And this is the kind of stuff we like to talk about. Yeah, I, I, this whole podcast world has introduced all of us to friends across the world. And, you know, just when you think you're the only one sitting in your basement listening to, uh, you know, uh, standing on the edge for the 10th time in the row, there's hundreds of other people that are too and it's it's really it's it's nice it's it's one of the nice things about social media and about this whole internet thing so very cool and i i really appreciate you guys have me on honestly a dream come true i've listened to every episode you know ken is one of 
the godfather and one of my mentors and has been tremendous to myself and Vinny and our podcast. So I really appreciate it. And I hope uh, I wasn't too boring on this episode. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll do something with you again soon, Pete. Thanks for coming on. Got it. Okay, that's it. That's our show for today. Tracy and I will be back. We'll be back also with Peter at some point. And uh, thanks for listening to us talk about the new Cheap Trick Live album. And go on out there and get yourself a copy. Thanks, everybody. Good night now, ladies and gents. <laughs> Good night now. Good night. Say goodbye, Peter. Goodbye, Peter. <laughs> Say goodbye, Robert. Goodbye, Robert. And that's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members, past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap tricking. My nipples are so hard that was perfect. <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> That's all I want, Ken. I was wondering my, why my slacks were a little tighter. But anyway, I says to the guy. <laughs> I have not ever heard that, no. The Casey Kasem thing. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Now, we're up to our long-distance dedication. And this one is about kids and pets and a situation that we can all understand, whether we have kids or pets or neither. It's from a man in Cincinnati, Ohio. And here's what he writes. Dear Casey, this may seem to be a strange dedication request, but I'm quite sincere, and it'll mean a lot if you play it. Recently, there was a death in our family. He was a little dog named Snuggles, but he was most certainly a part of... Let's come start again. From coming out of the record. Play the record, okay? Please. See, when you come out of those up-tempo goddamn numbers, man, it's impossible to make those transitions. And then you got to go into somebody dying. You know, they do this to me all the time. I don't know what the hell they do it for, but goddamn it, if we can't come out of a slow record, I don't understand it. Is Don on the phone? Okay, I want a goddamn concerted effort to come out of a record that isn't a fucking up-tempo record every time I do a goddamn death dedication. Now, make it, and I also want to know what happened to the pictures I was supposed to see this week. This a god last goddamn time. I want somebody use his fucking brain to not come out of a goddamn record that is uh, that that's up tempo, and I got to talk about a fucking dog dying. Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous, fucking ponderous. <laughs>